Hey, good morning. morning. Great to see you all on a beautiful Sunday morning. We're in the middle of a series coming out of the book of Psalms on Psalms for the Journey. And uh, Psalm 16 is a prayer for security, and we're going to work our way through that this morning. In the first verse, it reminds us of what this psalm is about. It says, keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. You and I live in a world where we need a refuge. Now, refuge means a safe place or a protected place. And the only reason you and I would need a safe or protected place is because there are threats. And in this fallen world, we are under threat, all kinds of threat. And in the midst of that, the Lord says, let me be your refuge. The Bible says, in this world, you will have tribulation, but I've overcome the world. My wife Marcy and I have relatives who just moved down to Sun City, Arizona, and uh, it's a suburb of Phoenix, and we visited them, and while there, we were the youngest people in Sun City. If you know anything about Sun City, it was the first uh, uh, elderly planned city in the world, and it now has tens of thousands of people. They had found a church down there. They moved from Minnesota down to Sun City and found a church. They were visiting with some of the pastors of the church. And one of the pastors told them this. In dealing with the people we deal with, almost all who are in their late 60s, 70s, and even 80s, we are constantly, beyond any other issue, dealing with people who so often come to us because they cannot let go of some of the things they've done in their life or they can't let go of some of the things that have been done to them. They can't find a place, a refuge of grace, a refuge of mercy, a refuge of forgiveness. And at that stage in life, they're still carrying the weight of that. On um, March 22nd, my mom died, 91 years old, 91 and a half. My wife and I were driving back from Phoenix, Got near Las Vegas, the phone rang, it was the hospital, pulled over to the side of the interstate, called my brother and said, uh, you know, she'll die if they don't have surgery, she doesn't want surgery, she's never wanted surgery, so while I was sitting on the side of the road just outside of Las Vegas, we made the choice that this was her time. From Las Vegas, we drove straight through to Williston, North Dakota, that, that's 21 hours, just note to self, I'm too old for that. <laughs> just, uh, you know, I'm thinking of a second career in trucking. And <laughs> anyway, we got there the last couple days of her life. She was lucid for most of that time, sat by her bedside. But this was a woman whose body had become her enemy. She had a colostomy. She was virtually blind from macular degeneration. And when a nurse came in and knelt by her bedside, a nurse who knew the Lord and just said, I'm so, I'm so sad you're dying, Elsie, but say hi to my mom when you get to heaven. My mom's response was, praise the Lord, I'm on my way. Her sister asked me, who she's very close with, she said, once she, once she realized she was dying, was she depressed? I said, just the opposite. She was elated that she was on her way. But she had long ago found a refuge in her God. 
So Psalm 16 is about living in a world where there's threats and how we respond to that world of threat by finding God as our refuge. And in this psalm, there are four examples of refuge. And we're going to just work our way through them. Here's the first one, refuge. We can find refuge in people that delight. Let's look at this verse, verse 3. As for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. When Jesus started his ministry, the first thing he did was build a team. And it becomes obvious that he didn't build a team just to infuse himself into them so they could carry on his mission. He invited them into the travails of his life. And so, apart from the cross, the greatest travail of his life was how he wrestled with his impending death in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he invited all of his disciples to the garden. And then he invited three of his disciples even closer in. And he said, would you wait with me? Would you watch with me? He could have said in our vernacular, I need you. I need my team. If you study the Apostle Paul, you find that he actually built a team. It is true that after his conversion, he went out in the desert and he just kind of worked things through on his own. But when he came back, he began to build a team. Now, I grew up in the era of of Billy Graham. Billy Graham preached the gospel to more people than any person in the history of the world. Individual congregations as large as one million people. And uh, Billy Graham built a team. He had the team that he worked close with, George Beverly Shea, who was going to be a big singer in the big band era and decided God had called him to Christian ministry. Cliff Barrows, who was his music director for many years. These were, these were his team and close friends. But he had a series of associate evangelists who under his banner went all over the world. We, uh, when I was serving in Circle Montana, we had Ralph Bell come. Ralph Bell was one of Billy Graham's associate evangelists. Paul had the same kind of system. He had a group of people who went all over the place, ministering. He said, now send John Mark to me because he'll be profitable in the ministry. In another account, he asked someone to bring him the uh, uh, parchments. In another account, he's sending someone to a place. In another account, he and others are going to a place. He had a team. Now, if Jesus and Paul needed a team, we need teams. Do you know who's on your team? Now, if the only people on your team is, hey, I just love these people, we get together, play games, we laugh. Now, I don't mind if you have some laughers on your team. (laughs) But if your whole team is based on who you get together and laugh the most with, Is there anybody on your team that champions your life purpose? See, not only do you and I need a team, we need a team where different people on the team do different things. Just like Jesus, just like Paul. Moses, in fact, struggled because he wasn't building a team. When Gideon was struggling to find the strength to obey God, he gathered a bunch of people together and made them his team. Who's on your team? So when you're in a given season of life, 
You know, I went to my mom's funeral, and there's all my extended relatives around, and we all started laughing about which one of us was going to be next. <laughs> that, <laughs> you want somebody on your team who knows what that season's like. Because we're in different transitions, we find ourselves with different opportunities and crises, different seasons. I have some people on my team. Bill Vermillion's on my team. Used to be the dean of Western Evangelical Seminary. We travel to other countries and teach. And I can sit down with him and have obtuse theological conversations that are extremely interesting to me, but mostly useless to the human race. (laughs) But he's on my team. Peter Holmes is on my team. He taught me that there was a dimension of the spiritual world I did not even know about. Sam Bennett's on my team. I have a a strain in me that loves artistic things. And one of the neat things was us going to Phantom of the Opera in London. And Sam and his family are very involved in, in theater. And I'm intrigued by live theater and music. My wife Marcy's on my team. Think, well, that's a given. Nah, it's not a given. It's not even possible that in a crowd this size, some of us have spouses and we're not on their team and they're not on our team. Vernon Arnes, an old pastor, lives in Minnesota, whose favorite phrase, phrase is uh, press on. And if I ask him how he is, he says, I'm blessed. He's poor. His wife has struggling health issues. But he says, I'm blessed. Mike Gamble's on my team. Mike knows more at his age. Mike knows twice as much as his age that I knew at his age. Kroll Chambliss. If you don't have a team, you're not paying attention to the threats. If you don't have a team, you're not paying attention to the threats. So refuge in people that delight our souls is part of of where we find refuge. Here's the second one. Refuge in a place with a future. Look at these verses. Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. Now there's a series of words here that that paint us a picture. They're about geography. You've assigned me my portion. My lot is secure. The boundary lines have fallen. I have a delight in my inheritance. All this is a shadow of Canaan. You remember when the children of Israel were led out by Moses, led out of Egypt, and they were led to the promised land, which was Canaan. And when they got to that land and conquered that land, it was divided up, and each one of the tribes were given their geographic inheritance. You and I have an inheritance. We have a boundary line. We have a lot. You see it in Paul's life over and over as he writes his letters. Listen to how he starts Romans 1. 
Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's saying, this, this is my boundary line. This is my lot. This is my inheritance. This is the land God has asked me to work, to till, to make productive. This arena, so we read about Paul. He said, well, I don't, I don't want to preach anywhere anybody else has preached. My goal is to preach the gospel where nobody else has heard about the gospel. That's because he was living out his inheritance. He was living out his boundary lines. Some people are spiritual vagabonds. They don't, they don't have any sense of this is the territory in the spiritual world God has given me to help thrive. And so they just bounce around from place to place, community to community, because they don't own the space God has said, I'm giving you this. Will you help this arena thrive in my kingdom world? I heard lately that, uh, you know, for a lot of years, because of better uh, diet and many factors, exercise, life expectancy in the U.S. has been going up in every category, except in one area, it has actually began to go down. White, elderly white males. Now they started investigating why is every section of the, of the culture expectancy goes up. Why are white elderly males life expectancy actually decreasing? And at least two of the reasons they found are alcoholism and suicide. Both led by purposelessness and despair. purposelessness and despair. That we were not designed not to work the boundary lines and the territory that God has given us as long as we're breathing on this earth. So we find refuge in a place that has a future. Let's look at a third one. Refuge in a priority that informs. In verse 7, he says, I will praise the Lord who counsels me even at night my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added unto you. Now the word kingdom means a dominion over which there's a ruler. In Bible parlance, it means for us a dominion over which Christ rules. Just like the United States is a dominion and it has certain rules and laws and ways and values. The Sudan in Africa is a dominion and it has in many ways a very different set of ways and values and laws. And we are invited to place ourselves in the dominion of Jesus Christ with its values and its laws and its ways and its relationships and make that dominion the priority in our life. 
Now, we live in a culture where we, don't, we almost don't have to make a priority because we've got almost unlimited choices. You know, my, uh, my wife's brother was for some years a missionary in Bolivia. And uh, they came home after four years in Bolivia. We're, we who live here don't grasp how quickly our culture changes. And four years, and she said, go to the grocery store and get some... Uh, Cereal. Well, if you've been in a cereal aisle in a grocery store, you know that it starts at one end and goes all the way to the other end. It's all cereal. He got to the grocery store, he walked into the cereal aisle, and he was just overwhelmed. He, he, just, he walked back and forth and back and forth, and he just got confused and muddled, and he came home. And she said, well, where's the cereal? He said, I couldn't decide. They said, well, how could that be? He says, in Bolivia, you had two choices. Puffed rice or puffed wheat. And so if you had to go get cereal, that was it. So your, your, your environment was very limited, your choices. To you and I, that, that's actually one of the uniquenesses, one of the blessings, one of the great things about America. But you just start, you let that filter into every area of your life and soon we're just a swamp. No clarity in a world where if we're, if we're going to navigate this world, there has to be clarity. We're living as if there's no clarity. That there's a thousand choices for everything and we can make one choice one day and one choice the next. I've been le- reading, uh, just finished a biography of Abraham Lincoln. In 1858, just three years before the Civil War broke out, Lincoln gave a speech that eventually was called the divided house speech. In it, he said, a house divided itself against itself cannot stand. He says, right now we are slave and free. We will eventually be either slave or free, but we will not continue to be both. In that political environment, the Democrats of that time were were totally uh, rejecting of that speech. His own party, the Republican Party, had many in that party who were upset by it, considered his views too radical. And in the face of that, of those objections, Abraham Lincoln wrote this. If I had to draw a pen across my record and erase my whole life from sight... And I had one poor gift or choice left as to what I should save from that wreck. I should choose this speech and leave it to the world unerased. You and I were designed to live with that kind of clarity at the core of our being. And when we let our core become a swampland, we are no match for the threats of this world. Refuge in a priority that informs us. And then there's a fourth one, which is kind of neat. Refuge in a path that gives life. Listen listen to these, these verses. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. 
Now, one of the remarkable things about these two ver- this verse is it speaks about the pleasure we have at the hand of God. Do you know that there are almost 6,000 verses in the Bible that either speak directly or indirectly about joy, happiness, blessedness, or some connected value with those? 6,000, nearly 25% of the entire scriptures has some connection to that theme. And yet some of us have grown into a religion that feels filled with guilt, bondage, and heaviness, obligation, so that Jesus says, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And you'll find rest for your souls. Jesus said that to the Jewish people that were living under a religion that had become so inundated with rules that it was at any performance level undoable. So here he's promising eternal pleasures. But at the first part of that verse, you have made known to me the path of life. Path means a continuous journey. And it's God's plan for us to lead us in a path of life. Whether we're 15, 25, 35, 45, 55, 65, 75, 85. Now I'm 67. Almost. And this verse has taken on a particular meaning for me. In fact, I chuckled when I was assigned this, uh, this psalm. We'd like you to preach on Psalm 16 and preach about a prayer for security. Some months ago, the Lord gave me a picture. And uh, if you want to know, what's that about? You, if you look into the Bible, God tells us in the scriptures all the ways he talks to us. And one is through pictures. So he gives Peter a picture of a big sheet filled with animals that the Jews would think were unclean. And he invited Peter to eat from that uh, group of animals. And Peter wouldn't do it because they were unclean. That was a picture that God gave him. He gave me a picture. It was a picture of a room. And there were a series of doors. And they were all slightly cracked open. And there was light behind those doors. But there was one door where the door was actually beginning to close. And the more I contemplated that, the more I realized that the Lord was saying to me, I have a series of doors that I want to open more broadly for you, but I can't do that unless you let me shut a door. And as he made clear to me what that door was, I I, I didn't want that door shut. There was security behind that door. So the Lord says, will I be your refuge? While you preach to others, will I be your security? So I began talking to Bob and John and our leadership about what the Lord was saying to me. The door he's wanting to close is this door. So beginning in August, at the end of this fiscal year, I'll be retiring from my ministry at Journey Church. This is the work of God. 
says, I got some things I'd like you to do at this stage in life. I've been here for almost 11 years. When I first came, we were meeting over at the schoolhouse, running about 400. It's gone up to 1,400. It's been quite a run. But I want to see what's behind those other doors. I don't want to just hunker down in a place of security because I'd have nothing to say to anybody. How could I talk about the vitality of Christ or the energy of the presence of His Spirit or His guidance if in my own life I was putting my hands on the wheel and taking His hands off? So in a few months, this uh, chapter of my life and ministry will be closing. Now there's some things, uh, some other things I'll be doing. I'm involved with the Arrowhead Bible College over by Absorkey, and I, I just think that is such a vital ministry. I went to Bible college. Whenever I go there, I am just inspired by the students and staff that are part of that ministry. And I want to have more freedom in my life so that I can serve that Bible college. I go up to Butte, Montana, where we've been, as a congregation, been supporting a campus up there that's part of the Harvest Church Network. And uh, do some international teaching. I'll be going to South Korea in, uh, in June to teach at Seoul Theological Seminary. Harvest Church and Vern Streeter has asked me to begin to coach their campus pastors. They have four campuses of churches outside of their church in Billings. Um, I brought some slides along to show you some of the other most important priorities of my life at 67. Uh, Let's have a look. Uh, This is Camden. Camden has made it very clear at the age of four he needs more time with Grandpa. Camden lives in China. I love that. He just was just getting his hair cut. He's got a sister named Katie. Katie loves to dress up. She is a doll. And uh, they got some cousins uh, that live down in Denver. That's, uh, that's Stace. He looks a little competitive to me. Um, I like that. His, his sister's Amelia. Doesn't she look pensive? Like, can I trust you? <laughs> Amelia and Stace just had a baby brother, Reese. Now, let me say that again, Reese. And the reason I tell you that is because Reese and I will have something in common. And here's what it's going to be. All my life, my my first name is Derry. Derry is not short for anything. Derry is just Derry. Now, when I go to a coffee shop, if I'm in an amiable mood, which is almost always, I'll just say, they say, what name can we, I say, Long. But once in a while, just out of absolute defiance, I say, Derry. They say, Gary? I said, no, Derry. Jerry. No, Derry. With a D, like in cow. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't know I had that side to me, did you? (laughs) So... So Rhee's name isn't Reese. It was a book my son read years ago called Rhee's Howell's Intercessor, which was about a Welsh preacher who was great, was known for his praying. 
It's Rees as in Riesling. So all his life, <laughs> he said, Rees? No, no, Rees. He'll be saying Rees as in Riesling. And I'll think, that's, that's my grandson. <laughs> that, uh, now we're in the church business. You know that. Some of you are thinking, now is that what's really going on? Yes, that's all that's going on. I'm retiring, having heard the voice of the Lord. I love our leadership. I think Journey has great years ahead of it, great ministry ahead of it. I have enormous confidence in Pastor Bob. I think he is a leader of authenticity and integrity. I love his passion and his vision He is a man that deserves to be followed. There's nothing else going on. But me, listening to the Lord and wanting to know what's behind the other doors. You have made known to me the path of life. And until I'm no longer able, I want to keep walking that path. I'm not interested in coming to a place that's stationary until there's a hole involved. (laughs) So when the nurse knelt down and said, would you say hi to my mom? And my mom said, praise the Lord, I'm on my way. There needs to be in us, if we're a follower of Christ, a, I'm on my way. And not just about death and heaven. A, next week, God is asking me to do this. I'm on my way. I got up today and had my devotions, and the Lord said, I'm on my way. An energy, a vitality, that represents Christ and his ongoing ministry and aliveness in our life. Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. And so we have these four. I'm going to end up with, uh, I have two more slides to finish with. That's Disneyland. My wife and I were married 46 years ago and we went on our honeymoon to Disneyland. And in September, I'll be finishing up in August, in September, October, November, somewhere in there, we're going to go back to Disneyland. Now, uh, on our honeymoon, we stayed at the Disneyland Hotel for $34 a night. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I checked yesterday, it's $452 a night. Now, if you figure check-ins like at 11 and check-outs, uh, uh, check-ins like at 4 and check-outs at like 11, what I paid for six nights will get you eight hours now. <laughs> and the last picture, and this is actually where the congregation in Butte meets. It used to be a Christian science reading room. And so the Lord, even in this season, will continue to give me life and ministry. 
So what are you on your way towards? What's the Lord saying to you? I think that's it for this morning. Let's bow our heads and... Close your eyes. It's likely among all of us in a crowd of this size, some of us feel threat this morning. Things we value are under threat. Our life has become maybe a swamp land. We're living in confusion. And the Lord offers to you through Jesus Christ some clarity and life in Him where he's your refuge. And right now where you're seated, you can say, Lord, here's the threat I'm facing. You could name it. Why don't you do that right now? Lord, here's the threat I face. The threat I feel. And you can affirm the authority of Jesus Christ through his death and resurrection on the cross. Lord, I know you died so that I would have the resources to face this threat. That in your grace, I would find refuge. In your mercy, I would find refuge. In your forgiveness, I would find refuge. You can state that affirmation to the Lord right now. The Bible says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. You can invite him in to this place that you're at. Lord, would you come into my heart in your fresh, real way, with your grace, your power, would you calm my heart? Let me find rest in you. And in your own way, you can express those words. He's promised to hear your prayer. If you've prayed that prayer and it's from your heart, he's answered you. Why don't you thank him for that? Say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for the grace for this hour. Thank you for your mercy and forgiveness for this hour. And our heads are bowed and eyes are closed and we're not going to embarrass you but just to honor the Jesus Christ who heard your prayer, who has sided with you, and who is giving you grace, would you just slip your hand up and put it down and say, Lord, thank you for hearing me today. Just slip your hand up. Yeah, right here, over here on the left, through the center, and over on my right. You bet, I see those. Lord, thank you for your kindnesses to us. For all these who slip their hands up, I pray that you will not only rush your grace to them, but you'll give them some physical demonstration of your alliance with them that will give them hope and courage. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.